an absolute treat to be here, uh, especially showing with John and Kristen with their work. I feel like with your, well, I'll talk, you can all talk about that a little later. I just feel grateful to be hanging with y'all in, in a show. And I was just mentioning to Kim that I'm sad that she's not here initially as she was supposed to be, but um, she's here. coming November she's or December. Show. Yeah, yeah. Show yeah, and the fact that you're here. Um, and, and I don't like for this is the first piece I've made in a couple of years. I was very actively making work for a long time, 30 years or so, 29 years. And I, I felt like um, I just needed to take some time and I focused more on uh, curatorial stuff. <laughs> so so it was a real treat to to be invited to show at this moment in my life because I felt that I, I felt ready as I was mentioning at the artist talk that we just did a little earlier that to be environmental observational like this is sort of like the the kind of the term that the show was described as because I feel I was ready for the first time in my life to actually do something like this to be a relatively impatient restless soul for so many years um, in my artwork I feel reflected that um, jumping from medium going from celluloid and then um, painting and then installation and then just kind of kind of music and um, being um, ready for to really observe even though observing has always been a part of it just patiently letting the process take its um, its uh, toll or take its time because there wasn't any because m- many of these shots were shot with not knowing where they would end up if they would end up anywhere and I didn't even care if they would end up anywhere. Um, so that experience of like the unknown, not knowing, um, was a real important part of this process. And then, and then jumping into it through audio, which was initially supposed to happen, I, I um, jumped in, like it, it was thinking a lot about the moving image components because audio art to me is something that has always been accompaniment to the moving image um, and this is the first piece that I've made that I created the audio in some time for many years whatever I either made silent films or I would create the audio with them as well and um, but then a number of years prior to this one uh, I would just have a collaborative experience with sound artists um, have them make something for the moving image or the visuals that I made or just completely steal something um, and then lay it over top. So this was a great, this is a great, um, I don't know, I feel like I'm adulting in front of you all, you know, like in a way that I never have before, it, which is incredible because when you feel like, you know, you're an adult and then you realize you're not, you know. Um, <laughs> And then you are, I don't know, I, um, I don't know what else. I mean, I could say a lot, but I just feel really uh, um, speaking about audio. I got, I'll, I'll jump into that because this is the launching point. Because one of the things that I really wanted to do with this was to imagine what the earth sounded like. I mean, it, we have a limited range of what humans can hear, right? And Daniel could speak to this probably far more eloquently than I could when it comes to 
our frequency range or our hertz range, you know, 20 decibels to 20,000 decibels that we can apparently hear and or hertz we can hear and then decibels is a whole nother thing. And then, and this is just what we experience uh, with audio, but what does, and this is kind of like egotistical, uh, but like, what does the planet sound like? And one of the things that I was really influenced by, and again, I mentioned this in, in the artist talk was, my Conti is, um, is, is it, I returned often to John Luther Adams and his permanent exhibition that he has the Museum of the North. And it, was it the room in which one goes to listen or something? I forget. It, 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 that really informed me years ago when I first saw it. It was one of these things where you go in and he, he collaborated with the geo, he collaborated with the geophysics or the geo, I forgot what department, the geo in front of whatever the science department is, and they were able to collect sounds, create sounds um, to what the aurora borealis sounded like electronically, or what the literally the breath of the earth sounded like just audibly, and, and it was all very electronic. I mean, maybe, I don't know exactly, I've never spoken to John Luther Adams about like, was it, how much of that was influenced, but this, of, of his electronic sound art, um, practice but it was such a beautiful experience to just sit for hours in that space and to just immerse yourself into the sound of the earth and so i i kept on returning um to that and in, in making this um because the sound of, of i mean we don't know what it sounds like outside of our own human interpretation so i i was in, really enjoying the idea of of this practice of like stealing art, <laughs> appropriating work, which has been a major part of my art practice since the beginning. Um, and in this case, stealing pop sounds, pop audio, all the audio that you're hearing is from pop songs. Um, I mean, somewhat pop songs or maybe new wave pop song or whatever the, the, I won't tell you the bands, but, and just heisted them and reappropriated them, remixed them, um, digitized them, created, uh, unintelligible audio of what you might recognize as and then bringing in natural sounds of the airplane as my my intent of, of bringing in like the airplane of the flow plane is to the disruption of what might the earth hear all the time even when you're sitting in a most remote location in south central alaska and hearing the beauty of just the natural world and a flow plane comes over right or um, a thunderstorm which is we don't hear much, but when we hear it environmentally, like shit's fucked up. Like we don't hear like a thunderstorm. When you do, like it feels like things are awkward. Um, and then at the end of this video, the the shot of um, the electrical box in the water is like a, a statement, not audibly, but visually of, of this um, fragile world we're living in. Um, and, and so, I mean, there it is. What did you want to say about time? That's something you talked about. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, time, well, I, I, I guess that was, I spoke to that a tiny bit at the beginning of just settling down, being quiet, being patient, being ready to be um, observational and not impatient, to not jump to something when you weren't ready for it. So I felt like this opportunity to adult and just be patient around, um, the opportunity to listen, really to listen and to be without, um, 
needing to go somewhere quickly. And in this case, go somewhere quickly is to finish something uh, for something quickly. Because this was, a lot of these shots, that was taken like three, four years ago with no intention and in where it would end up. So just the, the, this idea of taking time and... Um, Yes. If I can find the button. And and I always love this shot because like we all move in different speeds, right? And so clearly the the far ground is moving at a far different slower speed as what's happening here but it's all fluid and moving together so this idea of space and time is is active before our eyes all the time and even within the human experience we're all moving at different different um rates of time and so i was trying to be this that i was trying to be that really slow person where i often am trying to be that fast one moving and even in the clouds you know it's all like some of the happiest times i've ever had in my life is just staring up at a sky when you're lying in a field of grass or something you know and that's all that's this shot was simply that this is my big environmental disaster this is as the world is ending <laughs> and that's as a, I feel it all the time, but um, that's as, as heavy as I've ever gotten in a movie before, is that. So thank you all. Thank you, Asia. Thank you, John. I really appreciate it. Kristen, thank you. And Kim, who was here and will be here soon. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Wow. I can't actually, one of the most exciting parts about this experience right now is actually being in a room full of people and having them interact with my art and the art of other people. That's, uh, it's very, very much special. I have been missing that a lot. Uh, my name is John Hagen. I'm a photographer. I'm originally from Haines, Alaska, and I'm coming to you live from Anchorage, Alaska right now. I'm a photographer, digital artist, and now I guess curator is my official title too. So um, these pieces um, that you see here are part of a, a little larger body of work that I, I called Sound of Wind of Grass. Um, they were created as part of a like a self-created artist residency. Um, I wanted to go out to the village of Ugashik in uh, Bristol Bay, um, where my ancestors were originally from. And uh, it kind of, it's a project that started pre-pandemic, um, which kind of, it, it was an interesting space to be working in later on, but um, a lot of my family and ancestors were art and around, kind of had things cut short by the Spanish flu. So I was trying to learn a little bit more about myself and my heritage by exploring the place where my family lived and is from. So uh, I started this project in 2019 when I went out to Bristol Bay and I 
knew I, I was went out to fish and take photos and uh, fishing was kind of a way of making sure I could be out there and I had a lot of fun making pictures in the first week I was there and the first time I stepped on a fishing boat on the set net skiff I fell and broke my arm and had to go home <laughs> so I knew I wanted to go back and I needed to go back to finish my project and uh, I ended up finishing this in uh, the summer of 2020 in the full throes of the pandemic. And uh, I had a larger um, portrait project I wanted to do and I wanted to collect some oral histories from my uh, friends and my family and the people around and that, that stuff that I couldn't do. Uh, so what you end up seeing, what comes out in some of my work from this is a little bit of a Loneliness and loneliness from not actually being around people and kind of looking at where people used to be and what um, trying to look for signs of life. So, um, yeah, I um, do you have questions. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of these are um, actually the funnest part. They, were, they all came from like the same half mile of uh, for off of a dirt road and. Uh, over a a little longer period of time, like uh, I think over a month period of time. So um, it's really exciting to actually take a, take a little bit of, take time and focus on one place and focus on making images around, around a place that my family were from, my, where my family is from and, uh, and people that I'm related to still, still live and exist. I think two of my uncles are the seven permanent residents in Ugashik right now. So, and they don't always talk to each other. That's the fun part about that. But, um, yeah, a lot of, there were definitely a lot of quiet moments in these pieces. Um, yeah, there was a certain quietness that I liked. Uh, I'm at the Anchorage Museum. I'm curator of indigenous arts and initiatives. I started that in, in February. Congratulations. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Sharing artwork with each other. Um, to Michael and John uh, to exhibit with you. And thanks to Benel for having us all here. My name is Kristen Link, and I'm based in McCarthy on Atna Athabascan land. I work as a science illustrator and fine artist and educator. And my work can kind of go in different directions, but the one thing that I'm always interested in is kind of finding that sense of place and um, studying that. So this body of work came out of kind of getting to know a glacier and spending time on glaciers. Um, so living in McCarthy, I spent a couple summers hiking on the Root Glacier fairly frequently and kind of in that period of time got to know certain features and you just see how um, the glacier changes over the season and then how like a Mulan is there and then how it's there the next year and there the next year and then gone or change. It's just um, kind of getting to know this moving part of the landscape that it changes slow enough that you can't really see it happen every day usually, but over a couple of years with like paying attention, you see, you get to know it and, and see, it, see it change. So. Um, I think that got me interested in, in kind of drawing glaciers and getting to know 
them better. Um, I, I love, like as an artist, I love to draw. So drawing is kind of like the thing that I enjoy doing with my time. And um, I started making, well, I was trying to figure out a way to reproduce my drawings because they take a while, um, which is nice time to spend. But um, I came to cyanotype as a way to reproduce drawings. And then once I started doing it and playing with it, became really fascinated with some of the kind of effects of um, making those reproductions and using the photographic process. Um, so pe for people who don't know, um, I'm sure a lot of people do, but not everyone does, a cyanotype is an uh, alternative photographic process where um, I put chemicals on watercolor paper. You can do it on any substrate. And then uh, the ultraviolet light exposes uh, a negative image. So if you put a leaf on a paper, um, the area around the leaf would turn blue in the sunlight or under UV light. And then the area behind the leaf um, in the shadow would stay white. And once you wash it off, it fixes it and you get the image. Um, so I make cyanotypes from my drawings. I draw on like a transparent paper. And that is also similar to how people used to create blueprints. So it's sort of this echo back to this technology that we used to use for technical drawings. Um, and then one thing that was really amazing and kind of like what, why I fell in love with it is that the, using the sunlight um, kind of is different every time. So I've made some in the summer um, in the desert that you have to, they are exposed in like two minutes. And then I've made some at 35 below, like next to the Yukon River in Whitehorse that are um, hours long of exposure. And the, I mean, it's hard to tell kind of like which ones were what, um, but there's just different qualities that working with the environment has. And then that process of putting the drawing on top of the paper, sometimes the drawing lifts up in places and you get this blurring edge. Um, so there's like some places that are blurry and it's just usually where the drawing's kind of separated from, from the paper that you're exposing. And I loved the way that kind of those things and the blue color related to a lot of the thoughts and feelings I had about um, the way glaciers are changing and kind of like that process of getting to know the glaciers. Um, so in my statement and kind of maybe uh, one term that's kind of guided me through this process is the idea of solastalgia or the feeling of nostalgia for the place where you are, the thing you're experiencing because you know that it's changing. And a lot of times, um, like if you look up solastalgia, there's a lot of negative connotations to that word about climate change and trauma that we experience from the world changing. Um, and this work has been a place for me to put a lot of the sadness that I feel for the things that are changing. But I also, in making it, have found that, um, like, uh, a place to find the beauty also in, in changing places and in these, these places and getting to spend that time and attention and drawing them and kind of like capturing that moment of time. So it started kind of with these, like, miniature snapshots. Um, I started doing them as a way of kind of figuring out how to draw glaciers and figuring out the process and experimenting. Um, and I love how um, together they kind of represent all these different places and glaciers in Alaska and different experiences that I've had, but they also kind of stand for a greater whole. Um, and then I've kind of gone in some other directions of um, starting to work with 
thinking about when glaciers melt and um, how the water flows down the watersheds. So these are studies of kind of coastal and river areas. Um, one thing thinking about like that dynamic landscape and change that's been meaningful for me is I live on the Nizina River, which is this big braided glacial river that changes every day. And just being there and like living with a, a natural body that changes every day has been kind of a cool experience because change is just part of the world. And um, it's, yeah, it's just, I, I'm, I'm curious about how living in such a dynamic environment, like living in a place like McCarthy, so close to the glaciers and the rivers, and I'm sure living next to the ocean, you feel the same way um, that how it changes communities and people. Um, so that's one thing I'm trying to discover with it. Um, and then I did um, some, an artist residency on a research vessel, uh, the Sekuliak, working with a group of scientists who are studying plankton. But I found that experience of like being out in the ocean, which is off the coast of Oregon and California, um, even though Sekuliak's from Alaska. Um, so it was like a little mini Alaska down there. Uh, being out in that ocean was sim it was there were a lot of similarities to that experience as what I had kind of being out in glaciated terrain and um, kind of being in this somewhat like really expansive, somewhat hostile environment um, doing research. Like sometimes you feel like you retreat to your little box to like hide and then you go out and you like look at things and um, there's something about those big places that not everyone gets to experience that also when you get to experience them can feel really powerful and kind of get at the root of where we are in this world that um, I like to meditate on in my artwork. Um, and then there's the obvious link of glaciers turning into the ocean too. So I like that juxtaposition between the two um, and the way that um, you can study the textures in the glacier and to me, a lot of times they look like they're flowing water. You see these things that are moving um, and the process of drawing something that is moving like waves and making them stand still. Uh, my goal with my drawings isn't to be like photorealistic. I do spend a lot of time paying attention to detail and trying to draw things kind of accurately, but I also want them to look like a person made them. And that I'm, I like that process that they get a little bit abstracted sometimes as well. Um, yeah, anything else I should talk about? Questions? I'm really curious about your drawing process. Mm -hmm. So I know when you're looking at this and it's like almost like a contour drawing, you know? Like they, yeah. <laughs> do you, is that how you do it? Yeah, um, more and more I've been kind of in this, that like space that you are when you're doing a blind contour drawing. So um, I'm, I'm looking at what I'm drawing, but I, kind of will bounce back and forth between um, kind of when you do a blind contour drawing, you're like looking at your thing and not looking at your paper and trying to move with one continuous line and feel the subject of what you're drawing like with your hand. And so I'm trying to use, I use that same muscle memory, but I'm looking and kind of like observing at the same time. Do you, um, there's, there's lines that are a little bit more reinforced yeah, and then I, I come back and play with the line. Does that help you kind of travel through the landscape to, to reinforce those lines and then you, you do this? Yeah. yeah, a lot of times I'll come back though and, and reinforce them. So it's not a true contour drawing, but it's that kind of mindset and way of working with my hand, I guess. And then are these like a one-to-one -one from your drawings? Yeah, they are. 
So I want to figure out how to make big cyanotypes, but I have not been successful yet at um, at least like using the sunlight and not using like a UV thing uh, like that would vacuum out all the air. There's like getting the distortion right between the, the drawing and the paper, but maybe one day I'll figure it out. Keep playing. Oh, yeah. Um, I might, I'm sure I'll think of a better answer to that, like, once I get to reflect on it better. Um, but I, I mean, I've loved seeing the work in the space. I, one thing that we talk, all talked about before was um, kind of that process of slowing down, whether it's in, like, making a drawing or going to a place um, that's kind of remote and uh, disconnected enough that makes you want to slow down or spending time really sitting and, and filming something. And um, one thing that I'm thinking about is like, so we make the artwork that is part and, the, and slowing down is part of that process. And how do you translate that into the experience of like other people experiencing the art? So that's something that I'm curious about. Um, and then the different, just our personal stories of how we come to like, these landscapes and um, John was saying before about how he felt like uh, his photo experience was um, like ex lonely but freeing at the same time. And I, those that those thoughts I don't want to steal your words, but like they really stick to me, stick with me as um, like something that's important for me to capture as well. Okay. What, what does making art help you, um, you? We talked about how you're watching, you're witnessing the disappearance of these glaciers, right? What does making art tell you about um, in terms of healing and relationship to that? How does art help you with that relationship of loss? Um, yeah, I mean, in, in one way, you're kind of making this thing that I don't know, I mean, it's some, like you can capture it, but there's something also kind of sad about like capturing something that's changing. For me, I think the thing that's most important is that, um, you know, when we were talking about the process of, of drawing and the attention that a person pays in their drawings, um, that attention is an act of love. So it's like the time that I put into making the art and um, being in the place, or a lot of these are based on photos, but they're from experiences, meaningful experiences to me that I've had in the landscape. And so, um, yeah, just really personally kind of just like spending that time with, with the, the process of drawing and kind of meditating on it and not necessarily even thinking anything concrete, but kind of like that act of attention and, and love, I think, is, is what's healing because it's just, um, yeah, good space to be in. And I think that, you know, if you, if you pay that attention, then you'll always find those things to appreciate. Even if, you know, the glaciers are gone, there'll be other beautiful things as well. <laughs>